Well, good morning. Uh, this morning we're looking at T.D. Jakes. I did not know of him until we started doing this series, but uh, I certainly know a lot more about him now. Um, he's the bishop, is, is what he calls himself, or, or uh, of the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas. Uh, that's about 15 minutes from my in-laws. So uh, we were down in Texas about a week ago and had a chance to just drive over to his church. Didn't actually get to go in. Um, they were doing stuff in the church that day, and security wouldn't let us in, which is, is understandable. Um, but that is where he is located, and it's a, it's a mega church in Dallas. Um, there's there's a lot of mega churches in, in Dallas, and, but uh, he is certainly one of them. Uh, 60 years old. He was born in 1957, um, so he has been doing ministry for a while. He was he started out in West Virginia. He was born there. Um, went to West Virginia State University and felt the call to ministry while he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't finish school there. He started preaching locally uh, and then uh, started doing more ministry after that. Um, 1982, he got married um, to Sarita Jameson, and uh, they are still married today. They have five children. Um, also in 1982, he became the pastor of Greater Emmanuel Temple of Faith in Montgomery, West Virginia, and uh, really started there. Um, it was an independent Pentecostal church, um, 10 members at the beginning. Mm. And uh, eventually he moved that church to South Charleston, West Virginia. Um, and that point saw about a growth to about 300 members. Um, so you'll see this pattern in his ministry. Uh, there is something about him that just draws people in. His churches grow. Um, and that's, that's really where it started there. Um, ordained, I believe also, maybe not in 1982, but right around that time. Um, by Bishop Sherman Watkins of the Higher Ground Assembly. Um, and that's a Pentecostal association of churches. And he really got his start in the Pentecostal um, side of Christendom. Um, 1990, he moved the church again, this time to Charleston, West Virginia, which is the, the capital city. Um, and then also in 1990, he completed his, his BA and his MA um, from an online university. Um, and then later in 1995, he got, became a doctor um, in the, of the ministry in religious studies. Um, so he, he eventually went back and got his, his schooling in those areas. Um, it was at this church in Charleston um, where he preached, probably, or at least taught one of his more famous lessons. Um, it was called Woman, Thou Art Loose. And uh, he has written a book of that title. Um, there's a conference that he holds yearly called the Woman Thou Art Loosed Conference. Uh, so this became one of his more famous and kind of signature lessons, um, certainly one of his signature books. Uh, May of 1996, um, he took uh, 50 families from that church and moved to Dallas, Texas. Um, I, I don't know the reasons for the move, but... Uh, for whatever reason, they all went. And just to think about that, that is significant. <laughs> Fifty people and their families uprooted and went with T.D. Jakes to Dallas uh, from West Virginia. That is not a, a small thing. They, uh, they purchased what was then the Eagle's Nest Church from, from W.V. Grant. Um, I don't know if anybody knows that name. He was going to prison for fraud, um, and so he couldn't obviously stay at that church. Um, and so they sold it, and uh, T.D. Jakes and his incoming church family bought it, turned it into the Potter's House, and that is where they are to this day. Um, 1998, two years later, um, they were at about 14,000 members. Uh, 2010, they were at about 30,000 members. 
Um, not at that one location. They had branch out campuses in Frisco, which is about an hour north of Dallas, Fort Worth, which is on the western side of the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Um, he also had a campus in Denver. Um, that, that campus has split off. There was another pastor there. So right now they're at about 17,000 members of their church and, and campuses. Um, and, and it goes beyond that. I mean, their, their ministry is, is huge. Um, he's into movies. He's written um, 20, 30 books at least. Um, they do conferences. He's spoken with presidents. Um, he's just a very, very influential, well-known person in America. Uh, millions see his his Sunday morning sermons on on TBN or whatever you know show, um, broadcast he's on. Um, when I was doing doing some research, there was a very thoughtful, well-written response to some of the things that T.D. Jakes believes, and it was written by D.A. Carson and Tim Keller. And um, they're part of the Gospel Coalition. The Gospel Coalition is a group of, of evangelical, um, very solid brothers in the Lord that have come together to address different issues. And uh, some of the African American brothers on that council specifically say that T.D. Jakes was ravaging the black churches. Um, from their perspective, some of them had paid considerable cost for publicly standing against him. Um, and so there, there is something about him that just draws people. Um, and, and not just black people. He, he is pastoring a church that is about, it is very multiracial. I think it's about 50% um, black and white. Uh, and that, that changes over the years, but but he is not just appealing to a certain culture or a certain group. He is he has a wide appeal. Um, the the biggest thing that people will talk about if you do a, a search on him, if you start to look at his theology, it, it goes back to his Pentecostal days, and it goes back to oneness Pentecostalism. Um, and so well, we'll look at that first, more so because it's instructive. Um, but he was converted and ordained within oneness Pentecostalism. So oneness Pentecostalism, at a very basic level, denies the Trinity. Okay? So they have an understanding of the Trinity as one God and only one God. Okay? It's also called modalism. Um, there's a couple other names for it because this, this heresy has popped up through history. Um, but this is where he started out. And, uh, and I want to just bring up an interview that he... He had with uh, a gentleman named James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. Most of you probably know at least Mark Driscoll. Um, he had this interview with them in 2012, and it's very, it's very interesting. Um, so we'll start there because I think this is instructive for us as we try to learn about false teachers, look at their theology, and also have the ability to accurately discuss it with people if that occurs. Um, but in this interview, T.D. Jake said that as I began to progress... As I began to understand that some of the dogma that I was taught in the oneness movement was very dogmatic and very narrow, and really not the best description of how I understood the Godhead, I still did not want to switch teams. So he's talking about going from oneness to a Trinitarian understanding. So I still did not want to switch teams and start throwing rocks back across the street because much of what we do today is teach people to take sides. But I believe we are called as the body of Christ to reconcile wherever possible. So Mark Driscoll, um, who has a biblical understanding of the Trinity, said to him, Would you say that it's one God manifesting himself in three ways or one God in three persons? Um, and that's what modalism 
believes. It says that there is one God, and what you see in Scripture is God showing himself as the Father, and then he shows himself as the Son, and then he shows himself as the Spirit, but there's not three separate persons. And that's the, the way they look at the Trinity as it's presented in the Bible. Um, so this is the question Mark Driscoll asked him, and, and T.D. Jakes said, I believe that neither of them totally did it for me, but I think the latter one, which is one God and three persons, is where I stand today. Hmm. And so Driscoll probably was a little surprised, and he said, one God, three persons? And T.D. Jakes said, yes, one God, three persons, and here's why. I'm not crazy about the word persons. My doctrinal statement is no different from yours except for the word manifest instead of persons. What you describe as modalist, I describe it as Pauline. First Timothy 3.16, Paul says that God was made manifest in the flesh. Um, and so he says, yes, I am holding to a more traditional Trinitarian view of God. I believe in one God, three persons. I would just prefer to use the word manifest instead of persons. Okay? And then he says, in kind of a closing statement here, he says, I still have fellowship, associations, relationship, and positions within and without Trinitarian and oneness movements because I believe that until we bridge the gap between our thinking and humble both sides and say we are both attempting to describe a God we love, that we serve, and that we have not seen. Okay? So this is where he stands. Um, is he a Trinitarian? <coughs> Fully, I would say no. Is he leaning in that direction? I would say definitely yes. Um, but I don't bring that up so that we can, um, you know, scoff at him for not coming out strongly. If somebody starts out in a modalist theology and they start to move towards Trinitarian theology, um, there, there's probably a process involved. Um, and where he is in that, I don't know. Um, but I bring it up because this is a big deal, and it's, it's very instructive for us as we look at somebody like T.D. Jakes. Um, so like I said, modalism will promote and believe that in the Old Testament, God primarily revealed himself as the Father. In the Gospels, he's revealing himself as the Son. And after Pentecost, he's mainly showing himself as the Spirit. And those are the, the manifestations of the Godhead rather than the individual persons eternally existing as three separate and yet one equal God. Um, the, the critical failures of modalism, okay, this probably isn't a theological argument you have every day. It's probably not something that most people will even understand if you say the word. But here are the critical issues with modalism. Um, first of all, it, it, it denies the personal relationships within the Trinity. Right? And there is no Father loving the Son and Son loving the Spirit and Spirit loving the Father. There's no interpersonal relationships because there's only one. Right? One God that manifests themselves in three different ways. Um, and because of that, what we see in Scripture about the love of God within the Trinity, the communication within the Trinity, um, it becomes illogical in the doctrine of modalism. Right? Uh, so when you think of passages like the baptism of Jesus, right? the Father speaks from heaven as Jesus comes out of the water, the Spirit descends like a dove. Um, that is a very problematic passage for modalism and in some way they have to alter that passage, disagree with it, re-explain it. 
Um, if you think about Jesus' prayers to the Father, John 17, it, it becomes uh, nonsensical. It, it just doesn't make any sense that He is praying to the Father for us. Um, when He talks about He is going to give the Spirit to us, right? that also does not compute in modalism. Um, the giving of the church from the Father to the Son. Uh, the Holy Spirit groaning for us, interceding for us before the throne. Right? Christ Himself interceding for us before the throne. Okay? And all of these very important doctrines of the Scripture become null and void or have to get somehow re-altered for someone who believes modalism. I think the most important thing, though, is the atonement. In the atonement, Christ is on the cross and all three persons of the Trinity are active. Most notably, the Father is pouring out His wrath upon the Son for the sins of His people. And that doctrine is critical. That doctrine is the work of God in saving sinners. And if there is only one God, then God, the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but, but just the one God is the one on the cross, There, and there is... There is no Father pouring out wrath. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that doctrine of the atonement starts to become very messy. Um, God, is, God the Father is satisfied with the death of His Son. And in that can forgive our sins. Um, and there is a separateness to the Trinity while maintaining the oneness of God. But, and that is necessary because of things like our redemption. Right? We, we need to hold to a right, biblical, robust view of the Trinity. Um, and so, because of all that, for all of church history and today, rightly, modalism is considered a heresy. Um, it is a heretical doctrine to believe that God is one and He is singular and there is not three persons within the Trinity. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of Bible passages, like I mentioned, break down when you start to hold to that doctrine. Um, so as we look at T.D. Jakes' explanation of his views on the Trinity, um, if you hear him say, one God, three persons, and, and agreeing with that, then that sounds very Trinitarian. Um, and then he also says, I just prefer the word manifest instead of persons. Um, in a vacuum, that statement is okay. Truly. Um, if we're just talking about word preference, in a vacuum, that statement is okay. Um, but as we look at teachers, and we look at false teachers, we have to understand that none of this happens in a vacuum. Right? This issue has been discussed since about the second century. That's when modalism first started to come out. Um, and so, in response to that doctrine, the church, the history of the church has developed a very robust understanding of the Trinity and response to modalism. And as we look at that, we start to see that words mean things. And, and this is where it becomes very, very instructive for us. Um... Our, our theology needs to be wise. It needs to be thorough. And if we look back at church history, we'll start to realize that over the years, the debate has used words 
as, as it always should, and therefore the words mean something. Mm-hmm. The oneness Pentecostals use the word manifest because that explains their view of the Trinity. That explains what they think about God and how He shows Himself. And so that, that word carries meaning. It's not just a synonym that we get to use without any meaning behind it. Um, so if you're entering into this debate and you say, you know, I believe in the Trinity, I just like to use the word manifest, you're not just entering this debate without anybody having ever said anything previous. You're using a word that has been used to support modalism for centuries. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're, you're bringing into the debate a misunderstanding of the Trinity simply by using that word. Um, so where is he in his understanding of the Trinity? I, I haven't talked to him. I don't know. Is he progressing towards Trinitarianism? <clears throat> Hopefully. But it is unwise to use such a word as manifest because it creates a hazy picture. Um, and if we are going to clearly portray the God of the Bible, we need to do that with words that are clear and with a robust theology that eliminates mm-hmm. the possibility of false teaching. Mm-hmm. Okay? We are not to try to bring these two theologies together. And that's something very very important about what he's also trying to do here. With The quote I read earlier says, he says, I believe that until we bridge the gap between our thinking and humble both sides and say we're both attempting to describe a God we love that we serve that we have not seen, there's something about him that wants to bring both of these understandings together. It's like he wants to keep one foot in each theological camp. Um, on this issue, you can't. We're talking about the reality of who God is. We're talking about the rightness of the God that we worship. Um, if we do not worship God rightly, if we do not worship the God of the Bible, we are worshiping something else. We are worshiping a golden calf. Or we are worshiping a God that looks like the God of the Bible, but is not the God of the Bible. And either way, God will judge us for not worshiping Him. Um, and so that is why these things are important. <clears throat> so that the history of this debate matters what people say matters and T.D. Jakes also made a very interesting statement in the midst of this he said no one is dying for lack of theology they die for lack of love okay. um, this is also very instructive for us because this is something that people will say to you on a daily basis uh, no I don't know if you have these conversations on a daily basis, but you know, this make this will come up a lot more than modalism will. The idea that 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 love is more important than getting all of the semantics of theology right and and making sure that you know we all agree you know, on the little minutia of of the Bible. There are things we can disagree on. There are things that we do. Um, this is not one of them. Okay, modalism, the understanding of God as revealed in the Bible is not one of these things. And you cannot simply just let love overtake theology. Um, Again, Carson and Keller responded, I think, very appropriately to that. I just want to read their statement on that. Um, They said, of course, people can die for lack of love. And just as a side note, T.D. Jakes' church does a lot of, of really helpful things towards people that are down and out. Um, I even read one thing where they, they, bust their, they, they bust people from homeless shelters, from the streets, to their church on Sundays. Um, but there's a lot of caring for people that are down and out. 
Um, so again, the quote, of course, people can die for lack of love, but they can also die for lack of theology. Mm-hmm. If our theology of God is very wide of the mark, we are believing in a false God. Mm-hmm. And Paul knows that a gospel that is no gospel at all is dangerous. Think of Galatians. Right? I'll read that again. A gospel that is no gospel at all is dangerous and even dares to pronounce an anathema on those who preach a false gospel. Paul does that. We no more dare excuse bad or slippery theology in the name of love than we dare excuse brittle lovelessness in the name of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Let me read that again. It's, it's Don Carson. He, <laughs> yeah. But it's good. We no more dare excuse bad theo- or slippery theology in the name of love than we dare excuse brittle lovelessness in the name of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't do either. Okay. In general, we probably tend towards, at least I did growing up, I tended towards lovelessness in the name of good theology. I remember having arguments because I wanted to prove to people that they were wrong and I just did not care about loving them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just... That was easier for me. That's wrong. It is also wrong to love to the expense of the Scripture. Right? So this is instructive for us because as, as false teachers kind of saddle up next to the truth, that's probably when they're most dangerous. Right? Mm-hmm. It... Do we really are, are we going to do a Sunday school lesson on somebody who leads the Jehovah's Witnesses, somebody who leads the Mormons, somebody who leads a, some African religion? No, why not? Because we obviously know they're wrong, and it's so clear that you, you don't even have to educate people really that much about how bad that theology is because you hear one thing they say and you're like, okay, that's not of the Bible. Right. But as as somebody approaches the truth and doesn't get there but approaches it and starts to sound biblical that's when if they're a false teacher that's when they get really dangerous and so and that's when we need to be really really wise so so when you hear somebody say yes I believe in the Trinity I just prefer to say that you know God is manifest and and instead of describing him as persons that sounds decent because they just said I believe in the Trinity but it's hmm but it's not fully there. Um, so that's, that's when we need to be really wise. That's when we need to be certain that we understand the arguments and what the Bible says. Um, so that's, that's a big theological issue. I think that's instructive. And then we'll go into some of the, the stuff that you'll, you'll hear more commonly. Um, something that was interesting recently, he was asked about homosexuality, and, and by no means does he affirm homosexuality. Um, but this was his, his quote in that, on that topic. He said that the, the lesbian, gay, the bi, the trans groups have to find a household of worship that reflects their views and what they believe like anybody else. Churches have a right to have their own convictions and values. Don't try to change my house. Move on to your own and find somebody who gets what you get about faith. Okay. Very fascinating to me. Um, because he'll, he'll say, I don't affirm homosexuality. Our church is not going to believe that. Our church is not going to hold that. But then he says, but if you do, go find somewhere that you're accepted. 
Um, and so, I, just in, in studying this, I, I, I think it seems it seems to me that he seems to care more about bringing people together um, than about solid, good theology, and that is very concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if we if we take love as our guide and lose theology, we have erred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's something that seems to come out on, on different issues. If you watch some of his sermons, um, has anybody watched T.D. Jakes? It's been a long time. Okay. Um, if you watch some of his sermons, and it's, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's fascinating, um, he's very energetic, but there's some things that, that come up that, that I'll... I'll talk about here, and it's just the more common things that you're going to see if you watch him. Um, I bring up modalism because it's instructive. If you watch a dozen of his sermons, I don't think you'll ever hear him talk about it. Um, and, and so when we talk about false teachers, we need to address the things that most people are going to see when they watch or hear a false teacher. Um, so he's emotional. He's energetic. Um, He's a very stirring speaker. It's it's very interactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are are you know yelling and responding and screaming. He'll say you know turn around and slap somebody three times and tell them that God loves you. And it's, it's not a it's not a <laughs> but you know it's kind of like an encouraging pat on the back. You know and, and this happens throughout his sermons. Um, I mean he'll holler during his sermons. He'll speak in tongues a little bit during his sermons. He's pacing back and forth on the stage. He's sweating. Um, he really gets into it. Um, and and you, you can't you can't fault somebody for passion. Um, there, there's Gary is a passionate preacher, um, you know. So, but he's just a very energetic kind of preacher, is T.D. Jakes. Um, and it's you know it, it's kind of fun to watch. Um, just isn't interesting, you know, to see how he does it, how people respond to him. Um, and there's some parts of it that are just kind of amusing from that perspective. But there's a lot that's concerning when he preaches. Um, he, w- he will talk about hearing from God during a sermon so that he can you know, speak to, a, there, there's a need in this church, and I'm speaking to somebody, and I know I am, and there's somebody here who is hurting, and God is, you know, God is giving me this message for you. And, and so there's, there's a lot of that, um, mm-hmm. which I, I just, I question every time I hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a great appeal to and a push for emotionalism. Um, as you get people riled up and you get people excited, that is just a prime opportunity to push them to something in an emotional way. Um, and, and you can do that without any theology mm-hmm. because their emotions are just carrying them. Um, we'll see this at youth camp. And because mm-hmm. we see it at youth camp, mm-hmm. we guard against it. And we literally will tell the kids during a sermon at youth camp, this can make you emotional. That is not the point. Um, and that is not something that, that you see when, when T.D. Jakes preaches, but it's rather almost a goal that he heads towards. Um, he's a prosperity gospel preacher. And uh, I'll mention this somewhat briefly, simply because I think we've probably talked about this a good amount over the past few weeks. Most of the people that we've talked about are prosperity gospel teachers. Um, but again, that is a, a prosperity gospel is over-promising the end times blessings mm-hmm. in the here and now. Mm-hmm. With the implication that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, happy, um, as evidenced by your material prosperity. So when you hear him talk about blessing, when you hear him talk about God wants to give you good things, that is 
almost always tied to something material. Um, the examples he uses, you know, God wants to bless you. Maybe that, that promotion you haven't gotten or that, that business, you know, that you want to start or, or that, that financial situation you're stuck in, those are his examples. Mm-hmm. And so it leads people to think in that way, that, that there is a blessing from God coming and it's going to be something material. Um, it, it takes five minutes of reading the scripture to know that God's blessings can be material, mm-hmm. but that is not that is not the reality of God's blessings. That is not the, the true depth of God's blessings. Paul was a blessed man. In jail, <laughs> Paul was a blessed man. Jesus was a... As a man, he, he experienced just the fullness of, of enjoying God on this earth as no human ever has. And he had no place to rest his head. Right? So... So that is just a false doctrine. Um, he continually promises blessing um, in his sermons. And if you listen to any of them, it's, it's fairly easy to get to that point where you see, okay, this is a prosperity gospel teaching. Um, the thing that really struck me, and, and I'll give some examples and, and we'll focus on this. The thing that really struck me is his exegesis um, and his application of the scriptures. Um, we are probably used to good exegesis of the scripture. Exegesis is basically interpreting the scripture, right? Going to a passage, understanding what the passage says in context, and then taking the principles and applying them to our modern day situations. Um, like Pat has said before, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So if you're going to understand what it says, you need to understand who it was written to, what it meant originally to them, and then you draw out the principles and you bring them into our present day situation. Right? Um, so as a very simple example, God promises Abraham and Sarah they will have a child. That is not a promise for every woman in this room who is over 80. Okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that was a promise to Abraham, to Sarah. It has application for today, but not as a one-to-one. Right? And so that's we need to interpret that passage as it was rightly understood, understanding that God is a, a God of keeping His promises. He is a faithful God. He is a loving God who does all things for the good of his people and for his glory. Um, he does things that we don't understand sometimes. There's a great application we can draw out of that, but there's some things that you cannot draw out of that and you ought not to. T.D. Jakes continually takes things out of context. Pulls a phrase, pulls a passage, a story, and just brings it right into your life and tells you the application is the same for you. I'll give some examples of that. And that is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. The other thing he does is he allows people to create their own application. Um, And be careful with this because a lot of times uh, somebody giving a sermon or a lesson will give a principle and then we need to go apply that to our lives because we all have different situations. I understand that. But when you allow people to create their own application, um, what I mean by that is that that if I tell you that God wants to bless you, in that I am saying that there is something that God wants to give you. 
And, and if I don't qualify that, if I don't give you a right understanding of what it looks like for God to bless you, okay, then you are allowed to create some idea in your mind of what God's blessing will be. And if you're in his church and you're used to his sermons, you're going to think materialistically about it. You're going to think that, okay, well, I've really been struggling in this area, and if I just had, you know, $2,000, I could finally pay off this car and be much better. And, and if God wants to bless me, that's, that's probably what God wants to bless me in. Right. And so if I say that just as a preacher, if I say that God wants to bless you, and I don't help you understand what that looks like from a biblical perspective... And then I say, you know, bring in this story and God blesses these people and so he's going to bless you and you are going to be blessed because of this promise of God. Then you are going to take that understanding and you are going to believe that God is going to give you something monetarily. You're going to believe that God is going to give you a better job situation or, or more children or whatever it may be. Right? You are creating your own application that does not fit with the scriptures. Right? And so, from, from the way he preaches, this is exactly what happens. I'll give some examples here. Um, in Acts 12, 4 through 11, this is the story of Peter in jail. The angel, God sends an angel to the jail, very famously kicks Peter in the side to wake him up. The chains burst, and they walk out of the jail, and Peter is... Freed. He thinks it's a vision, but he eventually realizes that he is truly free and God has sent the angel to rescue him. This is the application that T.D. Jakes gives from that story. He says, before you know it, you're going to come out. You're going to be released. You're going to be healed, blessed. That family problem is going to change. That economic situation is going to change. There's going to be a breakthrough. There's going to be deliverance in your body. Okay. This is all from a story where God sends an angel to get Peter out of jail and to return him to the believers. Okay? That is not the application of that story. That is quite simply not the application of the story. God, in that moment, had a purpose to keep Peter alive and to get him out of jail, to not let the Romans kill him. Right? This does not mean that Whatever you're going through, there's about to be a breakthrough. Whatever you're trapped in, you're about to be released. Whatever economic situation you're in, it's about to get better. You cannot prove that from God rescuing Peter, and you ought not to. Um, but if you're, if you're excitable, that's a cool story. If you're really good at telling it and telling people that a breakthrough is coming... And God is going to bless you, and they start thinking about the difficulties in their life. They're going to get really excited that something's going to change, and my life is about to get better, and it and it's going to be material, which is really wonderful. But that's not what Acts twelve teaches. Right? It teaches us very different things. First Samuel one. This is the story of Hannah, who is barren, and she goes to the temple. And she is pouring her heart out to God. And she looks like a crazy woman. And she is praying and, and just, just speaking to God. And, and Eli thinks she's drunk. And, and she is simply just pouring her heart out to God, asking for a child. And so, God gives it to her. And she gives Samuel that child back to God. She returns him to the temple. And Samuel grows up in the temple. And it's the 
a beautiful start to the beginning of the books of First and Second Samuel. Um, so in telling the story of Hannah at the temple, T.D. Jakes applies it by saying, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want the blessing? How bad do you want that job? Maybe part of Hannah's problem was she was full of bitterness and, and there are some breakthroughs that you won't get because you're filled with anger and bitterness and frustration. And you just need to, you just need to let all that out. And you need to let it go. Is there anyone in here who wants something from the Lord? If you're in a congregation and you hear that, is there, is there anyone in here who wants something from the Lord? There's things that are going to pop into your mind. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things you might want God to do for you that He should not do for you. <laughs> but this is the application. Hannah had to get it out because she wanted something from the Lord. And if you want something from the Lord, God is saying to you, I can't do what you want until you do what I want. So get rid of all that bitterness. Get rid of all that anger. And then I will bless you and give what you want. And that's the yeah, that's another part of it. Certainly, there's a a, a you know quid pro quo with God with that kind of a understanding. But but again, we're looking at a Bible story that has great application for us today. It's just not that. Um, and and if we are going to be rightly understanding the Word of God, rightly exegeting and interpreting the Scriptures. Um, we have to be careful of things like this. Um, just a couple other examples here, and then I can take questions or thoughts mm-hmm. from anyone. Um, he did one sermon called Lord, Strengthen Our Men, and he started it off with Romans 3.23, all fall short. Um, th- that, is a, that is a great verse. Mm-hmm. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, we did it in youth group, and that is a an amazing verse to show us all that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And, and Christ has become that Savior. He is the one who redeems us from our fallenness, our failure to reach to the standards of God. But the application that T.D. Jakes gives, and this is it's just... It, it, it breaks your heart to see the Word of God not rightly applied. Um, but he uses it to say that all men fall short. And this was a Father's Day sermon, so he was focusing on the men, um, and, and that's, that's okay. Uh, but he uses that verse to say that all men fall short. And, and as men, we don't flourish in criticism. We flourish when we're praised. Because we're made in the image of God. And when we praise God, that's what God likes. That's what glorifies God. That's what, as it were, puffs God up. And since we as men are made in the image of God, that's how we flourish. And so that's what we need as men, is to be praised and to be lifted up in that way. Because if you just beat us down when we fall short, we're not going to want to to continue on. We're not going to want to work. And so he uses... The story of, of Jacob as an example of somebody who fell short. There's, you know, Jacob who became Israel, the guy who didn't fit in. And, and honestly, he gives some good application here in terms of the names of Jacob. Jacob is originally Jacob, which is means deceiver, means cheater, mm-hmm. and then he becomes Israel. Um, and he makes a very good point that, that throughout the Bible you see both names used. And, and it's I think valid and right to say that 
there's never a complete separation from the old man. You know, there's still that, that old, as it were, Jacob that hangs on while we are yet, you know, saved and, and pursuing Christ and given a new name. Um, and I, I really appreciate that application. Um, but then it goes into talking about Jacob trying to get Rachel to Ephrathah. This is the story when Rachel is pregnant with Benjamin. She will die giving birth to Benjamin. And while she is pregnant with him, they are on a journey. Um, it's a couple verses. And, and all the, the scripture really says is, you know, they were traveling to Ephrathah. She went into labor. It was a hard labor. She gave birth. And as she was dying, she named Benjamin Ben... Uh, Ben-Ami, Ben-Ani. Um, I'm not going to get that exactly right. And Jacob renames him Benjamin, right? Um, and so... The application out of this is that as Jacob is journeying, he has two things that are battling in his mind. And he has either I'm, I'm journeying and getting to the destination. I'm driving this, this wagon with the horses. Um, I don't know a lot about biblical history, but I'm, I think I can confidently say Jacob and his family were not traveling on a wagon with horses. But, um, <laughs> but that's the example he uses. Um, and so there's this, this journeying on and you have to get to the destination and if he focuses on getting to the destination then, then he can't go be with Rachel but if he focuses on Rachel and the pain that is behind him in the wagon then he can't get to the destination and so, and so it's hard to be a man. We have this dilemma. If, if progress demands that I stay with the horses and get us to where we need to go but there's pain behind me and and if I've managed to have progress, I can't be present with my family. And if I stay with my family, I, we can't have progress. And so this is the trial of, of being a guy. Success has a time limit. And I have to get to us by. I have to get us to a certain place by a certain time. And so he uses this story to talk about how Jacob doesn't get there, and Rachel ends up dying, and they bury her, um, and and they continue on. And so he says, "What have you buried?" in your life as you're trying to get to where you're going what have you buried <clears throat> they're almost there and, and there's that guilt of the struggle of every man do I mingle or I do, move, do I move forward uh, Ephesians 4 talks about husbands loving their wives it talks about what it is to lead a family in a godly way that needed to be here if we're going to talk about men and leading their families and progressing as a family and caring for our families and yet leading them and caring for them and providing for them, the Bible says those can go hand in hand. These aren't two separate things that we, specifically as men in his sermon, have to choose between. Yes, there are sacrifices to having a job. I don't get to spend all day with, with my wife and my daughter because I have to go to work. I understand that, but that doesn't mean that there is a lack of caring and and loving that goes on in a family. I don't have to choose between the two. But he says, when we bury where we fall short, we miss a miracle. And that's why Jesus goes to Mary and Martha to tell them to take him to Lazarus' burial place. Because Jesus comes and says, I'm going to be the God of your short places. I'm going to resurrect the things that you buried <laughs> the story of Lazarus is not about that <coughs> at all. Like this is 
this is not an opportunity to combine those two stories to say that God is the God of our short places because Mary and Martha buried Lazarus because they had come up short. Uh, uh, and so he uses... And, and realistically, they're stories. They're, they're exciting stories. They're sensationalist stories. Amazing things are happening. Um, and there's connections. Rachel was buried. Lazarus was buried. But that's about as far as it goes. Um, and we have to, as faithful believers, understand how the Bible fits together. We have to understand that you, you don't just pull stories and connect them and then apply it in any way that, that seems to fit. And so he finishes up saying that today is a day of restoration. Whether it be your job or, or, or your kids or your wife, it, God is going to come and restore the years where you fell short. Everything that lo- is lost and buried and collapsed, God is going to make it up. Um, and in, in, in line with his other normal teachings, God is going to therefore bless you. Um, and so I just use these examples. Um, I know it, it sounds ridiculous to us, but we have to understand, I think, very humbly um, that a lot of people listen to him. Um, a lot of people listen to a sermon like that and don't know their Bibles enough to say that that doesn't make any sense. You know, that's not what that pastor is talking about. Um, that's not how I should apply this to my life. Um, like like the me- those members of the Gospel Coalition said that, that he is ravaging their churches. Um, because there's a lot of people that listen to that, get excited by it, uh, want that. And if I tell you that God wants to bless you, who doesn't want to hear that? If I tell you that God is going to restore things in your life... It, that's that's nice to hear. Um, and if you start to see around you people being blessed financially, people being successful in their businesses, and you start to equate those two things, you're going to want to be, want to be a part of that church. Because if it's working for them, well, at some point it's going to work for me. Um, and so this is what happens. Um, and it is something that if you encounter somebody who listens to him or somebody else like him, uh, prosperity gospel teachers are a dime a dozen in America today. Um, we have to be able to address these issues and talk about them in a way that is faithful to the Scripture, um, because there's a wide appeal to something that sounds biblical, but is not rightly preached or rightly applied. There, there's a lot of attractiveness in our culture to that. Um, so we have to know how to recognize these areas. We have to know our Bibles enough and the right interpretation of the Scripture to be able to say to people, this is what the Scripture says and this is where real hope in the Gospel is. Um, so that is what I have for you on T.D. Jakes. Do we have questions, comments? <laughs> that, uh, what is this um, woman book, the book you mentioned in the beginning? He wrote yeah, it's, it's called Woman Thou Art Loosed. Yeah, um, what, what is the idea behind it? Uh, so from what I gathered, I didn't look into it too deeply, but he is um, really trying to reach out to a lot of women that are broken, hurt in their past by different things, um, really struggling. And so to, to loose them from all of that, that pain and heartache. 
John? I got two quick things. Yeah. I still prefer, if someone could turn to Jude for me, I'm looking for something between verse 3 and 5. I'm going to I'm gonna flub it. I, I kind of <laughs> paraphrase in my head. But, um, but the one thing, though, you said kind of towards the end, like, you know, only if people read their Bibles more could, could see this. But the one problem is with teaching like this, mm-hmm. when people see people so charismatic mm-hmm. and they're pulling these great stories out of the Bible, it yeah. really discourages <laughs> the listener to want to read the Bible. Because when they're reading it, they're, they're just saying, wow, this guy's so amazing. Listen, to, it's amazing how he gets mm-hmm. this out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He's such a great teacher. Yeah. And, you, and you start reading it, and you're like, man, I, I can't get that out of the Bible. I, mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know why you can't? Because it's not there. So teachers like that really discourage. You know, mm-hmm. he, I, I bet everyone in this congregation barely even opens their Bible because they're waiting for him to mm-hmm. expound this like amazing thing which they would never get out of it if they read it themselves. That's a great point. And so, but so the sec, but the second thing I wanted to say is, you know, all I can think of is through these these teachings is, uh, and Jude, you know, he starts off saying, uh, you know, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but then he takes the hard mm. right, and he's like, but let's, I, you know, we got to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all time, mm-hmm. and he goes on saying about. Um, the, these people have crept in that were appointed mm-hmm. before. Uh, mm. I mean, that's that's the verse I'm looking for. I can't I can't remember exactly how it's worded. Yeah, the certain men who were designated for this judgment long ago were appointed for. So you got it, brother. You're yeah. with that. Like, and so it's it's. Scary, I guess scary, but you know, because yeah. God is sovereign over all. It's, yeah. it's amazing to think that these men were designated and appointed to be teaching mm. these things or yeah. leading people astray. It's, it's a quite scary thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Kelly? What I'm hearing is instead of people are expecting the blessings from God, mm-hmm. and honestly, those blessings are probably not coming, maybe half a percent occasionally. It's going to mm-hmm. cause great bitterness against God. Mm-hmm. And when you have bitterness against God, you turn away from God, you hide from God. It doesn't draw you to Him. Yeah, um, there, there's there's something working enough to the point where his church is very full, um, yeah. which is is interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, Julian the Pat. Um, in Second nothing to do with that verse. Yeah. Mm. And we see yeah. this among Christians even who love to quote at times, some Christians, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper for you. That has nothing to do with you and I. Mm. It's certainly true that God is going to ultimately prosper us, but that verse, mm. and the other one, uh, very much like it, is, if my people who I call by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. And people throw that out here about abortion. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Jim Dobson's uh, ministry uses that every national day of prayer, mm-hmm. and that misleads people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, people humble themselves and they <coughs> pray and everything else, and still millions of babies are slaughtered every year. And so, 
Yeah, to take that. So what he does, a lot of people do. Yeah. And is to take certain truths, and you, you expounded this, I think, very well, said, you know, the closer that two things come to one another that are true mm-hmm. and untrue, and the more difficult it is for those lines to be. And we see the Bereans commended in mm-hmm. Scripture for checking to make sure. And it is yeah. hard, though. And we are people of the story. People love a good story. Yeah. We love a good story. And that yeah. guy's a, he's a real whiz-bang of a storyteller. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. They really have, uh, and they all have this in common. They they actually more have more in common with liberalism than they do actually reform theology. Mm-hmm. What they do is take narrative truths that have great application to us today, mm-hmm. and their applications become actual metaphors and allegories mm-hmm. uh, to the degree that you can say whatever you want under, yeah. the, under those premises. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, secondly, too, um, you just never hear the word sin out of these guys. It's just, it's yeah. just <laughs> sin, yeah. suffering, and trial, and tribulation, yeah. and endurance, and perseverance. I mean, it just is not part of their mindset, let alone the theology. That was very notable when I was looking at his comments on homosexuality. Mm. Um, I, you can just you can just call it out as the Bible speaks of it, and, and he just he didn't. Um, any other closing thoughts? I want to just find this again so we can close with a, a good quote that I, I think applies to this, obviously, but all all the teachers we've talked about um, and especially to our response um, so something good to keep in mind I said it a couple times before but we no more dare excuse bad or slippery theology in the name of love than we dare excuse brittle lovelessness in the name of orthodoxy um, it is it is vital that we as believers maintain the scriptures and a love for those around us um, so with that thought let's, uh, let's close in prayer God, we are grateful for this morning. God, we we're grateful that you are sovereign, um, Lord. You have not somehow lost control of this nation, this world. Um, false teaching is not overrunning or overpowering your gospel, Father. You are still accomplishing your purposes, and in that we rejoice. And Father, we simply pray for love and boldness and truth, um, so that we might be able to interact with those around us who. Uh, believe false teaching um, so Father that we might be able to stand up against it no matter the cost uh, no matter the situation for Father uh, if the nation continues to progress as it is it's going to get more costly to stand up against false teaching in our culture in false churches um, Father it's going to get more costly to follow you and we pray that you would give us boldness and a love for you that allows us to, to follow you faithfully no matter what so Father we thank you for this morning uh, please continue to grow us in you and in your truth and, and may we humbly lovingly um, Father know that we don't all have it right but may we at the same time humbly lovingly um, help others to see your truth more clearly um, in the name of Christ Amen <laughs> thank you, thank you. well done